Every business in the U.S. has been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, none more so than those companies in the healthcare industry. In COVID hotspots, hospital systems have been stretched to capacity. And even in non-hotspots, hospitals postponed elective surgeries to limit the exposure of patients to the coronavirus. Health insurance carriers have had a front row seat to this pandemic, working to help their members and groups while also working to understand the short-term and long-term implications of the pandemic on their business and the communities they serve. My guest today on Modern Marketeers is Matt All. Matt is the CEO of Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas. We'll discuss the complex realities of COVID-19 and the impact it's had on the healthcare ecosystem in Kansas. We'll be right back with Matt after this break. Our world is at a turning point. The effects of 2020 are profound at both the societal and individual level. It's an unprecedented moment for modern brands to lead. At Barclay, we understand brands that stand for something greater than their bottom line. These brands win. Now more than ever, winning brands treat their purpose as a verb. Winning brands drive action through their organization using a sustainability strategy. Winning brands measure and share their progress. These are the brands that drive trust and earn a competitive advantage. What are the biggest impacts of your business? What are the values, needs, and expectations of your consumers? And what is your plan? Modern brands can answer these questions, and the brands that answer these questions will emerge stronger in a post-2020 world. It's what we call future-proofing, and it's achieved through purpose and sustainability. Are you ready for the future? Are you ready to create your best brand possible? Find out more about Barclays Purpose and Sustainability Workshops at BarclayUS.com or reach out to Jason Parks, Chief Growth Officer at 816-813-3892 or jparks at BarclayUS.com. Welcome back to Modern Marketeers. My guest today is Matt All, CEO of Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas. Matt, welcome to the show. It's, it's been a minute since uh, we've done a podcast together. Yeah, it's been a little while, but it's, uh, it's always great to talk to you, Sam. And, and things have certainly changed a little bit since uh, our, our last uh, uh, podcast. Uh, I don't think either of us expected a pandemic to uh, come down on our heads, but it has. I was just going to say, I was not told that this was going to happen. This was not in my job description, but uh, say, it wasn't in anyone. <laughs> We're all in this together. Yep. So let's, let's do that first. Let's, um, let's unpack a little bit of the issues that surrounded COVID-19 and and how it's impacted what you are seeing uh, at, at Blue Cross and Blue Shield with your members, groups, people of Kansas, uh, and, and the communities you serve. Yeah, you know, our, our members have had the same things happen to them that everybody else has. I mean, they're just they're just part of the community, um, and it has thrown their lives into disarray and uncertainty, just just like it has for you and me. And I think more than anything, it, it's that. Um, Many of the things that they've counted on, simple things that they expected to be able to do and, and taken for granted are now uncertain and at times unsafe. And the reason why it, it relates back to us more than a lot of other places, that is that it's all tied to a public health event. And so the, the question is, what what is our role in all of this? And there are a lot of answers to that. But I think more than anything, we've just tried to be a, a beacon of stability and dependability. We want to be, uh, given that this is a health event especially, we want to be, um, you know, the, the same company that we were before, that when you call us on the phone, uh, it's, it's the same experience. And we, we want to be something that they can count on uh, when so many other things have been taken away from them. But here's the thing. All of our members who really need us are going through 
something very difficult, whether it's, you know, an injury or, or an illness to themselves or a loved one. And so we're used to dealing with those type of issues. This is just another, another version of it. Um, uh, but it certainly is a strange moment for, for all of us, including our members. So when did you realize that, that uh, COVID was going to be a bit more multifaceted than, um, and than a short-term uh, issue that you're going to have to face? You know, I think I, along with a lot of people, I don't know if you would count yourself in this group, were in at least a state of partial denial for quite a while. I mean, I remember looking at a lot of the, in fact, I still, I left the New York Times Sunday edition on my coffee table for a long time. It was from February. And it talked about how they had, you know, isolated millions and millions of people. And I remember thinking, well, that's really crazy and heard some some thoughts that maybe it would spread around the globe. Um, and it was beginning to by then. But you know, we, we thought, we just assumed, because that's how we humans are, that, that it wouldn't, you know, upset our, the, the lives that we were used to living for, you know, years and years. But it really came down to the second week of March. And so March 9th was a Monday, and I will never forget it. Um, so we, we, our steering committee, which is all the officers of the company, there's 11 of us total, uh, met. At, we meet every Monday morning, and we had all read the news uh, about things happening on both coasts and, and you know, what was happening overseas. And we were still, I would say, in a state of partial denial at that point, but not complete denial. We realized, uh, I'm thankful that we did, and I really give the credit to, to the team, uh, that we had to start planning to, you know, what if, what if we had to send employees home? And so that week we, you know, sent our IT staff and our HR staff and everybody else around to begin to think about what, how would we get equipment out to people? How would we, what would it look like to send the vast majority of 1,600 people home to work. Mm. And so I'm grateful we did that. So that, that was the week that the Big 12 tournament was canceled. The NCAA basketball tournament was canceled, which, you know, I'm speaking to you from Lawrence, Kansas, and that was a traumatic event in and of itself. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, but by the end of the week, it was really clear that the world had changed. And so we realized we were going to have to find a way to send employees home. And a lot of that frankly, was triggered by what we began to realize was going to happen with the schools around the area. So we're a family-oriented company. Lots of uh, our employees have children, school age. I have um, I have five kids. Three of them are school age. And so what, what happens when all of a sudden uh, those employees who, um, you know, have been coming to work and sending their kids to school, what happens when they have to also be teachers of their, of their school, uh, of their children? at home. And so uh, we met that Sunday. So Sunday after uh, May 9th, so what the May 15th, um, in our Lawrence office, and we all got together around a conference table and um, made the decision that we were going to have to trigger a what we were calling a disaster recovery plan, basically. And it was an incredible effort um, by our IT and HR staff to make all that happen. But within a few weeks, because we still had a little bit of time, it still hadn't quite uh, become a, a true pandemic in Kansas at that point. Uh, we had vast, the vast majority of our employees working from home, and, that, and they're still there today, and they'll probably be there for, for some time after that. But it really was all, all the way until the second week of March uh, that it, it became real. Well, I was going to ask you, too, when you mentioned the, um, the disaster recovery plan, it's like, you know, every corporation, well, most corporations have them. Um, have you ever had to, like, pull out the stops on a disaster recovery plan like that and put it into place? No, not, not in my time. I've been with the company 13 years, and I don't think anybody had um, any memory of having to do that. But we, we always had disaster recovery exercises. We had a pretty robust plan. I mean, when you 
are, uh, you know, essential. Um, and I think we are because people need to have their health care. They need to have it paid for. They need to have their questions answered. You can't just go dark if there's a storm. You have to find a way to get up up uh, and running again quickly. And that's what we always imagined would be the disaster. Right. You know, we don't have big earthquakes here. We don't have tidal waves, but we do have big storms. And so, but the, here's the thing. our We had a disaster recovery site and a plan that imagined that our campus in Topeka was disabled and then everyone else would assemble back together in a building. <laughs> so our disaster recovery plan didn't really work. It wasn't really um, meant for a pandemic, but what was really inspiring to see was that our um, disaster recovery team very quickly um, adapted that plan and, and, and got people to um, do basically the same thing, but at home. What right. that required them to do was gather bunch of equipment and and um, all sorts of other things to get and instructions frankly here's how you do it mm-hmm. to be able to go home and you know within a few weeks uh, we were we were it was just as if we were all in the building but um, but doing the same the same work and it wasn't just our the, like the leadership of the company I mean I give as much credit to the employees of the company um, for being as adaptable as, as they were it was it was pretty inspiring to see well, let's go back to a, a comment you made a little bit ago about uh, you, you are essential employees and, and your, your members expect you to be there to, you know, uh, for all of their health, uh, you know, healthcare decisions. How did, um, or what, what questions did you get from group decision makers or individual members uh, or what concerns did they share with you as this all started to roll out? You know, they were very different. Um, the, the group decision makers, it really depended on the business. There were some businesses that, that really didn't have much change, and we were out front with all the communications about what we were going to do to try to make sure that everybody had um, coverage for this this type of event, this specific event. But you had some, as you well know, who were really struggling, and it was really two categories of questions. One was, um, what do I do? I want to cover my employees. I don't want this guy that I've worked with for a decade uh, to go without coverage, but I can't afford to keep him um, at 40 hours a week, or maybe I can't even keep him on the, on the payroll at all. Now, normally, um, there, there are rules under state law that require us to count the hours, and you can only have full-time employees on the regular coverage. There's, there's some nuances to that. Basically, we just said we're not going to monitor that anymore. Uh, just keep him on, your, keep him on the, the list, and, um, and we're going to be fine. It was amazing how just that message that we're going to be flexible made such a huge difference for, for people. I had a guy that I um, had been, um, I had done some activities with him in the past through um, Leadership Kansas, and that was his question. He sent me a, a Facebook message and just said, hey, I'm, I'm so stressed out. He has a construction company in, in central Kansas, and um, you know, asked me that question. I said, look, keep him on there. We'll, we'll cover him. The second category of question there was what happens if we can't make our premium? What, have, what happens right. if we just can't pay for it? And what we did was just extend grace periods and said, you know, pay us when you can, basically. And what's amazing is that people have basically been able to make it through, by and large. We have had very little indication that, that businesses haven't been able to keep up with, with those expenses. And 
that's that's been a, a big relief. Now, I don't know what's going to happen as the rest of the year goes on if Congress doesn't get sacked together and pass additional aid. I do think that some, some of that federal aid has helped keep these businesses going. So we may have a, an entirely different set of questions coming up in, in the months ahead if, if we don't get um, help out to, to business uh, owners. Now, individuals, honestly, the questions weren't that unusual. I mean, there were some things that were specific to COVID, but like I said before, we deal with families and individuals who are having going through big health issues every single day. We get thousands and thousands of questions on the phone or in other ways, um, you know, every every week. And so that didn't change that much. We had we had some questions, but in some ways, things actually slowed down a little bit because people stopped going to the doctor, mm-hmm. they stopped going to the dentist, they, hospitals canceled all sorts of um, elective procedures. And so in many ways, although I know that was very difficult for our providers, and we do want people to, to, to go to the doctor and, and get all the health care that they need, it did free us up a little bit to deal specifically with COVID questions when we had them. Well, and, and if my memory serves, you did something um, with either the, the state of Kansas or um, throughout the state where you covered uh, the cost of COVID testing. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, we cover the cost of COVID testing without any cost sharing. We also cover the the cost of uh, COVID treatment without any cost sharing. We also, uh, for a while, waived all cost sharing for telehealth. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, a lot of people, if, if you need to get a checkup and there's something you can do online or on the phone, you need to do it. So we wanted to make sure that there weren't any barriers for people to, to communicate with their doctors. And so we, we, and we're also, to help doctors out, doctors and hospitals, we're paying for telehealth at the same level that we would pay for uh, an in-person visit. That may seem like a small thing, but, you know, when you're a hospital that has had to empty out its, all of its elective procedures, you know, st- and, and care a lot about your patients and want to see them, um, it made a big difference for them. So they, they could make ends meet as well. So um, I had a conversation with uh, Rob Steele, the um, Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer at Children's Mercy a couple weeks ago, and, and we were talking about telehealth. And he brought up the... Um, the point about, you know, will, will reimbursement to providers go back to previous levels on telehealth once this, you know, pandemic passes and, and settles down? Or do we think that this is the, the new norm uh, and, and, you know, that, that telehealth is now here? And I can't remember, I think at one point he said that they were up to 70% of their um, clinic calls were going through telehealth, and now I think they're back down to around 30 but I'm just curious what your point of view is on, on telehealth and where do you think it'll go uh, you know, going forward? That's a great question. And I, I don't pretend to know what the answer is. I mean, a lot of that's going to be driven by patient preference. Do you, know, do you and I as, as patients uh, want to get our health care through our iPad or our computer mm-hmm. or on the phone? Or, or do we feel more comfortable going in? And you know, I think probably the answer is mixed. There are probably some things where, where maybe now that you've done it, you'll you'll feel just fine um, calling in or, or um, getting on your iPad and, and talking to your doctor. And, and that's fine. But I do think that a lot of people really prefer the, the privacy in, in some cases, or at least the perception of privacy um, and um, just, you know, the, the human interaction that comes with those you know, most sensitive issues in their lives that mm-hmm. you can really only get from face-to-face uh, visit. And so I, I think probably the answer is that it'll be mixed. I think that uh, 
when we're through this, my guess is that it'll be closer to where we began than, than uh, where we were for a few months with telehealth. Mm -hmm. But what I've told our team and we've all agreed on is that we're not going to have any preconceptions about what we're going to do about that uh, until we see what happens. We want to see what people want. Um, but I, that also means we're not going to necessarily go back to the status quo. I mean, I do think that there's a lot of value in, in telehealth. Now, to push back a little bit on what, what your other um, guest said, you know, the perennial issue in healthcare is cost. And um, all of us who are engaged in, in healthcare need to figure out, you know, how to, how to economize, how to be more efficient. And if we're paying for the same, the same amount for something that costs them less, if right. it does, then that, that, that's the question, then, you know, ultimately the consumer is going to have to pay for that. And so I think all of us need to work together whether it's in telehealth or uh, for in-person visits to find a way to make healthcare less expensive. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And it's, if we don't end up bending the cost curve, we've not really achieved anything. Right. And I, I don't think, I mean, I, what I think we need to not do, and, I, and I, we've had a lot of conversations with, with our provider partners about this, is solely look at it through the lens of reimbursement. Mm -hmm. There's no question that for a few months, they were struggling terribly. And I think it was our responsibility to make sure that they that, that they got through this, that they were able to, to pay their employees and keep their lights on. Uh, that that's good for for everybody. You know, we don't want to, particularly a smaller community in Kansas, to lose their doctor because the the practice went bankrupt because they they just didn't have enough revenue. That's a different question when we get back into you know whatever the the normal times the the, the after times look like. Um, and then we really need to. to continue this process of trying to make healthcare less expensive. And that may mean that for telehealth, if it is less expensive for them, that they'll, they'll have to have, they'll be paid a little bit less for it. And I, I, I regret when the, the conversations though solely get into kind of this push and pull between payers, whether those are public or private and providers. I know that they, they've got businesses to run too, but we need to think about the consumers first about, you know, what they're, how much they're paying for this and, and whether the system can bear that. Yeah, it, it's it, it I totally agree, and I, I know that this has put a tremendous strain on providers and, and hospital systems across the country. And what else, other than the the telehealth issue, have you witnessed with your providers, and, and how have you worked with them to uh, help them get through this? Yeah, we just tried a lot of things and hoped hoped a lot of them would work. Um, so I've already mentioned a few, just about covering cost sharing, which which cuts down on a lot of their their concerns. That goes to the consumers mostly, and then paying for telehealth. Um, we also realized that just a lot of healthcare providers were having cash flow issues, just for the reasons I've already mentioned. And so we opened up a, an advanced payment program uh, to just pay them, uh, basically loan them zero interest loan. Uh, if they wanted it uh, for two months from May and June. And we had about 80 providers, that, which includes some small um, doctor's offices, some, some larger hospitals. Uh, so we just made advanced payments to them to help them with, with their cash flow. And, you know, it was interesting. We weren't really sure how, how much, how many of them would, would take it up. They had a lot of federal aid as well that I think filled the gap for many of them. Mm -hmm. But we had some that I think we were able to help them out with. The other thing that, uh, that we did was just try to cut a lot of the red tape uh, that they have to deal with. So, you know, there are reasons why we have authorizations and approvals for certain types of services uh, and why we have medical policy, but we loosened a lot of that up just so when they were struggling with so many other things, they didn't have to worry about so many steps with, with, uh, with us. And so that we think that helped make it easier for them. Another specific thing that we had that I didn't really anticipate was that um, dentists um, had a terrible drop-off in their business 
And it was a struggle for them to get going again because almost everything they do in the office, even you know just basic things like like cleanings, uh, create aerosol within the office. And so they needed uh, PPE, personal protective equipment, mm-hmm. as much as anybody, and, uh, and more in some ways than just like a, a regular family physician. Everybody needs it, and they, as you know, there was a big shortage for a while, and there may well be again. And so what we started to do was to pay dentists a little bit more um, just just so they could could buy more PPE. It was so hard to get. It became so expensive. One other thing that we did that, uh, and I don't know yet how much good it's done, but we made a series of grants to technical colleges and universities and businesses around the state for them to manufacture PPE. But they had to show us that they, first of all, they had the, the, the capacity to, to do it and that they had a strategy for distributing that within Kansas. And I think it has done some good. We haven't been, been able to, to track all of it down yet, but we're, 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 we know just a few stories about uh, some good that it did in some local communities. So, you know, in a situation like this, there, there's no, at least there wasn't for us, there's no playbook. And so we have just tried to come up with as many ideas as possible just to do as much good as we can in the situation that we find ourselves. And those are just a few. You know, this is, it's, it's really amazing to hear you uh, share that list because what, what, what it tells me is you and your team had to, um, you know, not only, you know, put the brakes on everything you normally did, but you had to like completely pivot and really start thinking about what are the other two dozen areas that we're now going to have to focus on and apply energy toward uh, and make decisions relatively quickly. Um, how, how did the culture, how did the, the company respond to that? You know, I think we were lucky to have a, a really strong, healthy culture going in. And, and if we hadn't, if we'd been dysfunctional going in, I worry about where uh, where we might have gone. But we had a we had a really good team going in. And I think even deeper in the organization, we had a lot of loyalty and, and engagement in the company. And so people have reacted incredibly well. One of my best uh, work buddies and, and colleagues um, has described this, as, has described COVID as the great illuminator, <laughs> meaning that illuminated uh, the character of individuals and of, of institutions in ways that, that you might not have expected. Um, and I'm happy to say that almost everybody really stepped up. There, there are always cases where people struggle under stress and they struggle with uncertainty and they, they struggle making decisions that they haven't been used to making. Uh, but we, whether through luck or, or you know, skill, I don't know, we, we've, we happen to have a, a, a collection of people in our company who have really thrived um, in a sense um, in this crisis in that they, they've kept their, their heads on uh, straight and they, they've kept a cool head and they've, and they've been willing to, to try a lot of different things. I don't know that I have a recipe for creating that type of team. I mean, I've always um, tried to, to recruit and promote with a combination of talent and character first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, experience matters but, but I, I really want to have people that I know I can have a great conversation with. And if I can have a great conversation with somebody, uh, then we can accomplish a lot of things together. And that, that means that you're willing to, to um, disagree and, and have that be okay. You're willing to make yourself vulnerable and change your mind. You're willing to see the, the, the good sides of others' ideas and the, bad, and the, the faults of your own ideas. And I think we just happen to have a really good group of people who are, who are able to do that. And that, that made all the difference. What's interesting is how the question I'm struggling with or thinking about a lot is how this is going to affect our culture long term. And honestly, I, I don't know the answer to that. 
I, I'm optimistic in the sense that I think that people form stronger bonds in difficult moments very often. And I've certainly tried to do my part to, to add as much positive energy and, and talk about the values that are important to us uh, as much as I can. Um, and so I'm, I'm optimistic that that will end up being stronger. Um, but, you know, we've got 1,600 employees, and this has affected different people different ways. And so how we – what we'll have to do when we all get back together, and I assume that that will happen uh, in the short to medium term, probably more like medium term, uh, we'll have to assess how is everybody doing? Um, how, how, are, how are you and your family doing? And what can we do to pull together stronger than before? I, I think we'll get there, but I think that itself is going to take some work. Yeah, I think the the long-term impact on uh, behavioral health of employees who've gone through this, because again, I think, as you said a little bit earlier, you know, we all entered this thinking, well, this might be, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, and now it looks like, you know, 12 months. Um, And that's a whole different animal. Uh, That's, that's, that's taking some time to get used to and, and almost some constant adjustment um, which actually leads me to another one of my questions is, as you've talked to business owners and their employees, as you've been going through this, this crisis, um, what can you say to help allay their fears? I mean, you've done a number of things you know, from them from a financial perspective and loosening the reins. But what, what else could you say or do to help allay their fears? You know, I don't know that I'm in the business of allaying fears, particularly in a crisis, because I, I think the most important thing you you have in a, in a in a crisis is your credibility. And so, what we've tried to do is be really stubbornly factual, while still being hopeful about where we're going to end up. So, anybody who's read uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins, you, you know, it's easy to forget a lot about uh, books like that. But right. the one thing most people remember is the story of Admiral Stockdale and the Stockdale paradox. And he was, I mean, I won't go through the whole thing, but he, he was uh, the highest ranking uh, military officer in a prisoner of war camp in Vietnam. And he, uh, you know, they asked him how he was able to get through it and, and who, who, uh, who didn't get through it. And he said the people who didn't get through it were the optimists because they kept saying, okay, this will be, I'll, I'll be home by Easter, or I'll be home by Christmas. And it wouldn't happen and, and it would break their hearts. Um, and so the paradox that they set out was that um, you should accept the brutal facts, whatever they may be but always retain hope that you'll succeed in the end. And so I guess the only advice, I, I guess I would give two pieces of advice to business owners and, and, anybody, and anybody else thinking about this. One is to keep that paradox in mind. I mean, let's not have a Pollyanna view of what's happening here. That can get us in more trouble than anything else. We need to look at the data, look at the science, and think really clearly about what this means. Um, I think if, if we start telling ourselves happy stories about this, then, then we're not going to make, make any progress. But the other thing is that I think you have to keep your most important values out in the forefront, even more often than normal. And if, if I've served any purpose here um, at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas, it has been at the beginning of big decisions, meetings where we know there's a lot at stake, to talk about here are the values that we stand for. Uh, we are here to serve our members. We cannot sacrifice any of that. We cannot relax on that one bit. But we also have um, 1,600 people, many of whom have families, and they have their own responsibilities, and we have to help them meet those responsibilities too. And I have found that when you, uh, when you get those values out on the forefront of the conversation, um, then it, it really sheds a light on what the right decision is, or at least, at least where the boundaries are. Um, and so I think it, you know, keep, keep your head straight, keep the facts in mind, 
um, but but be true to, to your values. Good. That doesn't mean the, the decisions will be easier, but you're certainly going to feel better about yourself looking back on this a few right. years from now. You stuck true to the, those values. It's a it's an exercise in resilience. Um, and uh, I was reading an article the other day that that uh, compared this to when the U.S. was suddenly thrown into World War II. Um, no one. It happened obviously very quickly, and no one had any idea when it was going to end. Um, and so you you had to approach it the way you just described it. You know what I would say is, um, and this is a little bit less optimistic note. I do think there was a sense of a greater sense of shared purpose back in the 1940s um, than maybe we have today. I think that's been one of the reasons why we haven't succeeded as much. Um, you know, there were if you think about. If you could get online, you can find some of the propaganda posters that the federal government put out um, in the 1940s d- during World War II about, um, you know, do you need to use that? Have you, do you have to drive today? Uh, you know, what's, what sacrifices have you made so that the troops can succeed overseas? That's a great and point. And I think, I think one of the reasons why we haven't done as well is that we have, uh, I think, our, our sense of, of common purpose has frayed um, in recent decades, and we really need to get that back. This will not be the last crisis we have. And it, it, until we get a sense that we are all part of this, this big community and all of us need to help each other get through it, we're going to struggle in times like this. So I, I hope we get that back someday. I do, too. I it actually leads me to my next question, which is about the, the program you have in Kansas called Blue Health Initiatives, which is, is an intentional effort uh, from Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas. But how, has, how have those efforts helped communities get through the COVID-19 uh, pandemic? You know, it's a great question. We would do those with or without the COVID pandemic. And of course, we were doing them for years before. And, and this program, uh, through this program, we uh, invest in communities. So we have a pretty rigorous program where um, groups from, from the different communities around the state will come and say, hey, we want to make our, our community healthier. And here's how. A lot of it is through built infrastructure. So we're going to make some walking trails. We're going to build a playground. Um, we're going to have events surrounding those things, or sometimes it's about the food infrastructure in the town. So we have this program to get healthier food into schools or on the menus or at the, you know, in our restaurants or at uh, the the grocery stores that we have in town. And I guess what I would say is my my hope is that getting people outside, giving people the opportunity to exercise outside has has made a difference in some of those communities. And we all know that just being healthier gives you a better chance at, uh, at, better outcomes with COVID. And so to the extent we've made any difference there, um, then I'm, I'm hopeful that, that we've helped with, with their, their little part of this pandemic. You know, it's part of the larger theory that we have that, uh, that if we improve the conditions in communities across the state, then in the long run, we'll improve the health of the state. And that'll do a variety of things. I mean, the most important thing is that we think people will be able to live the kind of lives that they want to live. Uh, but we also think that it has some hope and, and some promise in lowering health health care costs in, in the long run. And so it also just feels great to do. What, that, those are some of the, my, my favorite events. When we're handing out um, a, a bit of money uh, to a community uh, that is able to invest that in something that they feel great about, it really is a, just a wonderful thing to be a part of. Well, and, and to uh, you know, add on to your, your comment about you know, making people healthier in the state of Kansas and uh, – making healthcare more affordable. Uh, uh, recently in Missouri, Medicaid finally, um, through a uh, amendment to the Constitution, uh, was expanded. Um, and I know Kansas came close in, um, 
the legislative session in 2020. Do you think, uh, one, do you think it's got a good shot at getting, getting expanded? And two, what would that mean to the state of Kansas if uh, Medicaid were expanded? Well, I'll say this. If you brought it to a vote in both houses, that's been the biggest problem. Um, it, it would pass in Kansas. If you poll Kansans, if, if Kansas doesn't have uh, the same type of uh, referendum process that Missouri and some other states have where you can just put something on the ballot, if you did put it on the ballot, it would pass in Kansas. It's been through just the, the uh, process of the legislature that has been held up by a few people. And I, I think if Medi- Medicaid passed in Kansas, it would do a lot of good for a lot of people. More babies are in the United States are born uh, under Medicaid than any other uh, program, any other payment program, private or public. Uh, there are people who, whose lives are made a lot worse, uh, a lot more stressful, a lot less healthy uh, because they, they don't have access to affordable care. And so I, I, I think it would do a lot of good for the state. I think all the data from, from all the states, whether they are conservative states or liberal states uh, in the middle of the country on either coast, uh, shows that, that Medicaid does a lot of good for, the, for this population that really needs it. And, and so I think it would be a great thing if it passed, and we hope it does. Uh, we're not in the Medicaid program, but that, we don't really care about that so much. We, we are here because we want for as many Kansans as possible to live the kind of lives that they want to, and that means being able to have access to, to affordable health care. But that's, you know, Medicaid is just one way to do it. Uh, we, uh, part of our, our, what we call our endless ambition is to provide Kansans a health care system that works uh, actually, uh, let me restate that. To lead a movement to give Kansas a healthcare system that works, one they trust, understand, and can't afford. We say lead a movement because we realize that we're just one part of it, but we think we have a, a role to play in getting others to come along. And if we could do anything to improve the public health in Kansas, but also just make people's lives better, it would be, a, it would be to give people access to affordable care. And that, that would change so many things in the state if people just didn't have the stress of knowing whether they would have coverage, whether they could afford to go to the doctor, and also whether they could afford to pay their premium. And that, that's part of a, right. a larger movement I intend to spend the rest of my career working on. And I, I hope, uh, hope that by the time I hang this up that I'll be able to say we've done it. To put a, a bit of a dent in the universe of, um, of uh, the total cost of care? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, are you talking about passing Medicaid would? Yeah, yeah, that and 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 the rest of your career, yes. <laughs> but yeah, right. I mean, it's it, but it's really two things. It, one is that it needs to be more affordable, and I mean the the theory for Medicaid, although you will be spending more money if you cover more people, but you'll have fewer people that are uninsured, uh, so they their health conditions won't get as bad. You'll have less charity care at um, hospitals, um, and you know there are all sorts of reasons. I mean, I could we can go on and on. Right, that could be a podcast so all by itself, right? Yeah, no, no doubt. So affordability is one issue, but the other thing about the healthcare system that is that is so frustrating to people, and that we are striving to get better at, um, and we're really putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to get better at, is that it's just too complicated. We talk, it, particularly one of the great things about our company is we have people who, who work there their whole careers. They start, you know, right after college or right after high school, and and they get just really great at it. But the downside to that is that the the vocabulary and the, the terms and the ideas of health insurance become second nature to them. And they're not second nature to most normal human beings. And we have got to make this system, whether we're talking about private payers or public payers, a lot easier to navigate. It should not require uh, as, as many hoops and as, uh, as much 
struggle just to get basic stuff done. And we're working on that. Uh, it, we can't do it by ourselves, but, but I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, down the road that, that it's both more affordable and a heck of a lot simpler to use. Well, so speaking of, of there's always room for improvement, if you had to identify two or three areas, you know, where you could improve on your members' experience, what would they be? Well, I think I've already touched on on many of them. Um, I think that um, with us specifically, we are a, a legacy company. We're, we're um, old-fashioned in a lot of really great ways, but probably in some ways that, that don't meet the modern consumer where they are. We're great if you are, if you are, um, if you have a question in mind during business hours, and you want to come on the phone and, and talk to us. We are as good as anybody in the business. I'll put our, our, the people who answer our phones up with anybody in any, any business. They are great. They're compassionate. They love what they do. They really want to help people. The problem is that's not how a lot of us do things. I mean, I'm frankly a little bit introverted and honestly, there are a lot of times I would rather just get online and, um, and solve my own problem that way. And we're not quite as good at that as we need to be. So that, that's one thing. But the other thing I've already really touched on, which is that we really need to simplify the, the experience overall. And uh, that's one of the reasons why some of these other ways of paying for healthcare, although I think there are terrible problems with those ways of doing it, you know, some of the kind of alternative products that you see out there. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's why some of them are attractive, because at least on the surface, they seem a lot simpler. And that's what people are looking for. It just shouldn't, it shouldn't require you to, to have to jump through multiple hoops to do basic stuff. And so we are starting a, a, a new strategic initiative. I mean, it's the biggest thing we're going to be doing over the next year or two uh, to, to do what I just described. We want to be uh, have allow people to have a much better experience um, and meet them where they are as consumers, uh, but also just make it a lot, lot simpler to do. Because, you know, we talk, I've given this, this speech, this very short speech around the company, I don't know how many times, dozens, maybe hundreds of times. I say it to every single new employee and I talk about it very often at meetings, which is that when, when, if you think about your life, think about the 10 biggest moments of your life, think backwards, think forward about what they might be. I'll bet you more than half of them are going to be caught up in the healthcare system. And they are big, meaningful moments. A lot of them are very difficult. And you, you, there are so many things that you need to deal with. Uh, and, you know, family issues, getting yourself nursed back to health, uh, whatever they may be. You should not have to worry about the details of the healthcare system in the middle of that. And if we do our jobs well, we can make that better for them. We can let them focus on the things that are really a lot more important than that. And if we do our jobs poorly, then shame on us because we've added this layer of stress and complexity that just shouldn't be there. And so um, if, if we can make that better, uh, then I think we'll have done something really important. Matt, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you carving out time today to talk to us and all the work you're doing across multiple fronts. Um, in this era of COVID. Happy to do it, Sam. Good to talk to you. Well, I'm sure we will do it again. Let's get through a little bit more of this and then uh, we'll come back and, and, and revisit this topic again and, and see how we all get through it. So thank you. Again, my guest today has been Matt All, CEO of Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas. Join us again next week for the healthcare edition of Barclays Modern Marketeers. Mm -hmm.